All right, let's go in our Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or, or didn't bring one, we've got there one there on the pew that you can use. And as you turn in there to Luke chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 14. I would like to say thank you to uh, everyone who helped out with the children's home uh, the other week. It was absolutely incredible the amount of food that was brought to the children's home. Uh, and those of you who were there remember that. I think there were... Uh, we had a, a picture that was taken. I don't think everybody was fit into the picture. I think there were a couple people who, ladies, actually went to um, some of the rooms of the girls who had invited them to see uh, where they stay. And but I think there were over 35 people from Rocky Mount Baptist Church who went to the Salem uh, Children's Home. So thank you so much for being a church who cares about kids. I think that we outnumbered them. And uh, that was just an awesome time. Thank you, John uh, Girani, for putting in all the work for teaching the self-defense course. Um, I am a little bit concerned about our church body um, at this point. I just have to confess to you because um, I had the, the boxing or the, uh, the mitts to go around and John would teach people how to throw a certain punch and the guys would do that. But when I went around and allowed the ladies to punch the mitts, it was haymaker every time. So, uh, I mean, some of our ladies will just rear back and let it loose. So, um, if anything ever breaks out here, um, we definitely have some women who can take down any intruder. So, um, do, do with that what you want. Let's go to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to speak to you today on, on this subject. We're going to discuss something that may be a little bit awkward. It's called a religious rage. Um, it's what happens when we have a wrong view of ourself. And when we collide with or when we are confronted with God's view of ourselves, if we have a view of ourselves that is too high, we're going to get angry when confronted with God's view of who we actually are. If you ever remember a situation in your life when someone was told the truth and they became angry. I want you to think back in the files of your memory when someone was told the truth about the way it simply was and the person got fired up and angry. You have to ask ourselves you know, a question here. Um, we as people, we want to improve, right? In every area of life. We have the desire as people to be excellent. We're made in the image of God. There's nobody that wants to be a loser. So, you know, Jeff, you haven't met, you know, some of my friends. It seems like they try. Well, a lot of the people who say, I don't care, they do that in a sense because they don't want people to think that they've failed, right? So they're just going to put it out there and say, well, I don't care. I don't care about school. I don't care about my family. I don't care about my job. I don't care about anything. So it puts forward this persona that says to people, I don't care. So you can never, because I don't care, accuse me of being a failure. But we desire to improve. We have that, we have that, that, that bent that says, you know what? I really messed up. I want to do better. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that we've been made in the image of God. So you would think that if we are shown areas in which we lack, that we would want to say, you know what? Thank you for showing me that. In fact, the book of Proverbs says, a wise man takes reproof. That means that if we are corrected in love, we should say thank you. But then it says a uh, another verse in, in Proverbs says it. It says that the wounds of a friend are many, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Interesting thought, isn't it? 
You think back in our lives, the people that we call our friends, are they friend enough to sit us down and confront us with some of those brutal truths that we know we need to hear, but we don't really like to hear, right? I mean, that's the way that it is sometimes, right? We know that we have weaknesses. We know that we have failing. We know that we have sin, but there's probably not too many of us that say, I want, I can't wait for somebody to show me how I have messed up, right? We may appreciate it when it happens, but what we're going to look at from the Bible today is a very interesting thing that can even be real in churches in the USA today in the 21st century. And it's when we have a a view of ourselves that is different than God's view. And when we are confronted with God's view, instead of being broken and humble and saying, God, you're right. I have royally messed up. I need your forgiveness. We get Mad. All right. Have you ever, um, those of you in church, this is, this is a misnomer, but have you ever known somebody in church who's gotten mad? Let me, regardless of your church experience, if you've ever known somebody, you know, where, where they get mad, right? They don't go to the person who made them mad. They go to everybody else and tell them about the person who made them mad, right? How many of you have ever known of a situation or a person in church and they have just been offended and gotten mad? Let me see your hand if you know anybody. All right. All right, cool. And the rest of you have not been in church very much or you've been sleeping in church <laughs> or you're lying. Okay. Luke chapter 14, excuse me, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. This is how this story begins. And what we're going to do, and you've got it in your, your bulletin, there's basically three scenes. This is like a movie, if you will. And you can just imagine the, the camera angle of God's uh, recording of what happened in the book of Luke kind of switches between three different scenes. And the first scene you see here is that Jesus uh, comes out of the wilderness, right? If we go back to chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we see Jesus tempted by the devil himself. And then Jesus prevails. Isn't that good news? That when we are tempted and when we fail, when Jesus is tempted and he fails, he or when he's tempted to fail, he doesn't fail. And the reason is that Jesus fails nobody. Amen, church? That is good news that even though we may struggle, we have a King and a Lord who has broken the power of sin. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness having knocked the teeth out of Satan's temptation. So wouldn't you say that's a pretty good time of your life? I mean, that's good stuff. I I remember going to, I think it was 1989 or 1990, the the time of the Billy Ray Cyrus mullet rage. You guys remember that? We we were living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and that was when the Charlotte Hornets were there, okay? And and, and my Sunday school teacher, she was this lady named Miss Bidwick. And and here we don't do this, um, but but there we had a time of greeting where they would play music and people would just go around and greet people. Well, she would be like, Miss, um, she would open up this can, there would be candy in there. And like every kid in the church would flock to her, right? There, There was like, you know, the Lord Jesus and his apostles. And then there was Miss Bidwick, right? Giving Jesus with candy. And she brought us to the game. She brought me and a couple of friends. We were there at the Charlotte Hornets game. And I remember that the Hornets were winning. And the louder it got, the more of the Hornets tail lit up on the big screen. And you can just imagine, you know, people are just going crazy. And then, I mean, the, the ecstasy, the, the high feelings when your team won and you were there. 
It's amazing. So you've got kind of this, this thing that Jesus passes the crucible. He goes through the gauntlet and he's still standing. And that's when the Bible says in verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now go back to chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. This is a connection clue to say that Jesus returns in power every time. Now notice what happened here. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So here's where you see Jesus. He's baptized by John the Baptist. He passes the test of Satan's temptations. And then people hear about Jesus. And then he begins to be the featured speaker in all the synagogues. And he begins to get famous. This is post victory. This means when Jesus showed up, people knew. Imagine you're there, and then notice what happens here in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This was kind of his hometown. Now we know that he was born in Bethlehem, but actually raised in Nazareth. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up. And he stood up to read. Now, right here, some people say, what is a synagogue? All right, a synagogue was something that the Jews started after 586. The Babylonians, a people which would be in modern day Iraq, came against the land of Israel. They put up siege engines and they took over the city. The the, the Babylonian soldiers poured through every opening. They killed most of the people. They took the royalty and, and I guess you could say, uh, the upper class into slavery all the way to Babylon. Now imagine if, it's kind of hard for us as Americans to imagine, isn't it? Somebody through armed power coming in and taking over the USA and then extracting us to put us over, like let's say, to live um, in some plane out in the middle of Asia. That's like, that's like War of the Worlds aliens. That seems to be, to most of us, more um, possible. Because I know some of you, and I know that you have arsenals, Right? Some people say, I can't identify with that, man. You know, they, they come, right? I've got my Second Amendment. You know, God, guns, and guts are the three G's that made America. That would be very hard for us to understand. But imagine if you could, if you had this superpower, which Babylon was, and they came and they killed all your young men, killed your soldiers, and if you were almost unfortunate enough to survive, they would rip you out of your situation in life and take you to live in the capital of the place that destroyed your homeland. And that's where the book of Lamentations comes from. They're, la- they're lamenting. They're crying. They're by the river. And all these Babylonians are singing, Sing us! right? Sing us the Star-Spangled Banner. Sing us! God bless America. That's what the Babylonians were doing to the Jews. So the Jews were away from the temple. So what did they do? They built places called synagogues, which would be something like this. It was a building that they could meet in to read the scriptures, to pray, and to encourage each other to stay strong in the faith. So notice what Jesus did. He had a a custom. That means a habit. That means that Jesus was there. He went to, as we could call it, church. Isn't that interesting that Jesus went to synagogue and it was his custom? Let me just stop here for just a moment and say to me, it is an incredibly beautiful thing to look out and see some of you who are faithful and you come and notice what you're doing right now. You're sitting and you're facing this front 
And we've got an open Bible here. Now, I don't, maybe some of you are like, bro, I don't want to be here. I came because, you know, my mom or my dad may become or because I'm trying to make my husband or my wife happy. But we're just assuming you came to church because you wanted to and because you've built it into the fabric of your life. And what an amazingly precious thing it is. And I don't know if some of you who have been to church however long, I don't know if you've caught this, but the very fact that you take time out of your busy week to come and sit while another person stands to open a book that a lot of us still have a lot of questions about, about what does this mean and so forth. And that is an act of humility before Almighty God that says, by the fact that I'm here, I don't have it all together and I need to hear the Word of God. That is a precious and a beautiful thing and I thank you for it. And don't let people tell you that coming to church is a thing of the past, that it's old and arcane and nobody cares about it. The fact that you are coming and the act of simply sitting there facing this front opening your Bible, or if you didn't bring one trying to listen to when the Bible is read, it is a thing I'm telling you that God honors because Jesus' custom was that He went to synagogue. So thank you for being faithful to simply come and hear the Word of God. So Jesus is there. And, and notice what happens here. He's this, this featured speaker. He stands up to read in verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now right here, let, let's stop. Um, they didn't have books. They had scrolls. And where he's going to read out of is Isaiah chapter 60. We don't know if it was a full scroll of Isaiah or what, but imagine how far you would have to unroll to get to Isaiah 60. One. He's rolling and he's rolling and he's rolling and you know people are waiting. Jesus knew exactly where and exactly what he wanted to communicate. This is so fascinating. Imagine if we were there and you've got this attendant who brings in this huge monstrous scroll. He begins to open silently. And you hear it and see it unroll. And then Jesus comes to the place he found, quote unquote, as the Bible says, the place where it was written. Verse 18, look at it with me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wow, that verse will preach, right? I mean, you just read that, you're like, man, that's awesome. I want to, I want to like, you know, print that out and put it on my wall. That's an amazing passage of scripture. But then notice what Jesus says in verse 20. After he'd spent all the time unrolling it, what's he do? Somebody help me out. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And then he sat down. Some of y'all will be like, I wish that Jeff would preach those kind of sermons, right? Turn to Isaiah 66. Read the verse. Put the Bible. Sit down. Everybody's like, okay. Is that the end? I don't know. Maybe for once we'll be able to meet beat all the other churches to uh, the restaurant, you know, before 9 o'clock at night, okay? And, uh, and, and notice what happens here. The Bible says in verse 20, And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. This is an epic moment in the Bible to where people are literally thinking what's going to happen next. Now notice when Jesus is sitting down. 
Now, he, he would have sat down on kind of like a cushion. But he didn't have pope chairs like we do. But he would have, he would have, would have sat down on the ground and people would have been viewing him. And, and notice what he says in verse 21. And he began to say to them, quote, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's a little bit of a strange follow-up, right? You know what he's literally saying? He's saying, guys, we're in the Bible. Imagine if I read a verse from the book of Revelation and said, after I read the verse, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Guys are like, oh no, is it 2012 yet? I thought, you know, what, what's happening here? That would be, right? Jesus is literally saying, now for the Jews, they knew that they were in the Bible, right? All the way through. But Jesus is saying that the point and the purpose of this passage, boom, time and space, here and now, this synagogue in Galilee has been fulfilled. Now that's good news, right? Notice what's been fulfilled. He's talking about God has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And notice what he also says here, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. When Jesus comes, He gives people freedom. He breaks the chains that bind. And I just want to put it out there this morning that no matter what people have been addicted to, Jesus can save. I didn't even ask y'all for an amen. Y'all believe that, alright? Good deal. Now, here's what happens sometimes. Okay, this is in the Bible. Jesus, the Son of God, is quoting the Bible. But when we read things like that, we sometimes have in the back of our minds to say, well, you don't really know the person I'm thinking of. They're really bad off. I know the Bible's true and all that. Sunday school day, Jonathan gave a lesson that one of the points was on believing that God actually can. And it just kind of struck me there that often us evangelical Christians, Baptists, Southern Baptists, Independent Baptists, you know, whatever, Backwater Baptists, whatever it is, right? Right? Mean, cantankerous Baptists. We say that we believe the Bible, but do we actually believe that God will do for us and our families what He tells us in the Bible He can do? And saying that I believe the Bible and then saying, God, I believe that you can apply and make the Bible real in my life are two totally separate things. And I pray that God would jerk us up out of a cold type of, uh, of theological uh, doctrinism or whatever it may be. Say, Bible's the Word of God. If it's the Word of God, then man, I should base my actions upon that and believe that God can. He can. Why? Because Jesus said He was going to. And the fact that any of us are here, if we could just take time today and get in a time machine and go way back, we would find that most of us of European ancestry, our ancestors in the time of Jesus, were running around in loincloths, spearing each other, burning each other alive in human sacrifice, worshiping demons, and trying to tell the future by looking at the entrails of a slaughtered animal. That's our heritage, if you're primarily of European descent. But there was one day where people believed this Jewish guys 
And they believed and followed the words of Jesus to say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person, even those European savages. And a long time ago, people began to be saved out of our forefathers. And then that continued to an ocean cross today. And we're in this place called Virginia, the beautiful town of Rocky Mountain next to the Blue Ridge Parkway. And Jesus is being preached because people believed that Jesus was serious. That is an incredible, incredible thing. And notice what he says at the end of verse 18. He says, recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now for the Jews, they would have thought of the year of Jubilee that every 50 years, all of the debts were forgiven. We're, too, we're way too crooked of a society for that, right? People be like, okay, year 49, right? Take out a million dollar loan, okay? Build a new house. Whoops, year of Jubilee, okay? But for them, they would have understand that if, if you're a slave, you get freed, okay? Everything, you let the land rest. It was basically, it was basically like an incredible year of 4th of July, 365, 24-7. Jesus says, that's been fulfilled in your hearing today. And notice, notice what the people do here in verse 22. And they spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Like, wow, that's awesome. And then they said, but is this not Joseph's son? Don't we know this guy? Verse 23, and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Okay, now here's where Jesus begins to take a corner. All right? Everybody's excited about the Bible being read. But when Jesus, don't miss this. When Jesus begins to apply the Bible, it begins to change. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do this here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. What Jesus is doing right here is he's literally saying, you know what guys? There's going to be a day to where you're looking at me on the cross saying, right? What do the people say? He healed others, but he cannot what? Heal himself. Jesus begins to do... Right? People are fine with saying, well, read the Bible, teach the Bible... But when you begin to apply the Bible, that's where the rubber hits the road and that's where people get mad, right? Notice how Jesus takes this further when he talks about what, actually, what is he talking about here? When he says that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, famine, Elijah, what's that about? Well, the background here is that there was a famine during the time of Elijah. No food, very little. And then God comes to Elijah and he says, I want you to go north into the, into the town of uh, Tyre um, and Sidon in that area. And there was a widow at the town of Zarephath. Now, this wasn't even in the, in the area of Israel. This was a pagan town. You know what Jesus is saying here is that God will save outsiders. This, we don't even have an equivalent today. Basically, what he's saying is that when it got really bad and really rough, God sent Elijah outside of Israel. Now, don't you think the people like that? Well, we know that's the case, but why are you why are you making that point? Jesus is saying that the fact that the Jewish people will reject me, there's going to be people around the world who will receive me. The story of that lady says that Elijah came up and she was out there collecting sticks. So basically, you know, like, what are you doing? And she says, I have a handful of flour and just a little bit of oil, and I'm going to go make some bread. 
for me and my son. We're going to eat it, then we're going to die. Would anybody in here say that's a little bit hopeless? That's all that she had. And then Elijah said something very pastoral and very prophetic. He says, I want you to make it for me. I thought we were supposed to share. He says, I want you to make it, and I'll eat it. Give me, give me some water as well. Now, at that point, wouldn't you say it's a little bit rude, right? I mean, all she's going to do, that's her last little piece of bread. She's going to eat it, and then she's going to die. If they're, they're just going to eat it, and they're going to die, right? Like, eat the meal and then die. Now, I've eaten some meals before, and I thought I would die, right? Like, overseas, you're like, Lord, I don't know what this is, but if I can get it down, would you please keep it down? Amen? In the name of Jesus, right? Like, those kind of meals. But this was a seriously a last meal. Not much. You know what he told her? He says, if you do this, he says, God will take care of you, in a sense. And what happened is that this is a supernatural miracle in the Old Testament. She did what the prophet told her to do. Now, this is ironic because every time that Elijah preached in Israel, more often than not, he was rejected. But yet, he goes to this pagan city where this pagan lady is, And he tells her to give him her last meal, and she does it. Remember that passage where Jesus talks about that uh, Roman centurion, right? And he had a sick servant. And he says, Lord, would you come heal my servant? And then the man says, you know what? It's not necessary that Jesus actually come to lay hands and heal. Just say the word. And Jesus said, This kind of faith I have not found in all of Israel. So Jesus begins to cut to the quick. Let me just stop right here. Um, In regard to outsiders and missions, our last Sunday school teachers meeting, we discussed the prospect of the conference that I went to on engaging the lost and the unreached people groups around the world. People groups who don't have access to the gospel. There's not really, um, for what we know, a Christian presence there at all. And we begin praying. I asked our Sunday school teachers to pray. And this is what the the International Mission Board is asking all of the Southern Baptist churches to do, that we would adopt an unreached people group. You see, Jeff, what does that involve? That involves, first off, us praying. When God leads us to the specific people group, we'll pray for that people group. We'll try to connect with missionaries that are near them and try, if we can, to get the gospel to them. People say, now now that, that that may be too hard. It may be dangerous. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is a statement that I heard from a pastor at that conference, and it struck with me. It's in here and in here. I can't get it out. So that safety is not a value found in the Bible. Let me say that again. Safety is not a value found in the Bible. I'm going to let that sink. We're going to pick this up for weeks in advance, but... The fact that most of us like to live safe lives, if we obey Jesus in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person, that is not safe. Right? That's very not safe. But then we have to ask ourselves the question, is the point of life for me or for the Lord? Let me just say something else about about missions and evangelism. Do you realize that if there is no missions and evangelism, people say, well, what about the people in the church? Well, there's never an either or, right? That's honestly one of the most silly things I've ever heard. What about the folks in the church? Well, okay, there's never saying, oh, we're going to go witness to lost people, so therefore we never visit people who are sick. Who says that? 
But I want you to go with me on this, this thought here. Is that if there is no missions, and if there is no evangelism, in other words, if there are no people being saved, then you have one generation of hospital visits. You have one generation of home visits. And then slowly what happens is that those who have been saved die out because there are no new ones being saved. Y'all tracking with me on this? Alright? The foundation for every aspect of the ministry of the church is more people getting saved to get uh, involved. We all clear on that? Missions is not, it is not an option. That is a non-option. The fact that some of us may even think that, and I can say this because I'm a preacher, and I'm just going to be very, very honest. The fact that people say, what, overseas? Inner city? Unreached people group? And that kind of hits us weird. That is because of the epic, and I'm going to be very clear, the epic, epic, massive failure of many of our preachers. You see, Jeff, in what sense? If I stop emphasizing what Jesus emphasized, if I stop promoting His last words and saying, guys, do this, then how can I call myself a preacher? Everybody see how that connects, right? Let me say that one more time so we don't miss it. If I de-emphasize what Jesus emphasized, then what I'm doing in my so-called preaching is giving people a mixed message to where they come away with a thought, I don't really have to take the words of Jesus seriously because my pastor doesn't. And if you've been exposed to that in other churches or in the past, I'm profoundly sorry. But as long as God gives me breath, we will emphasize what Jesus emphasizes. Amen, church? I'll have to be at Lynchburg all this next week. If I get run over by a you know, car or something like that, I want you to know. All right? Jeff, as long as he was here, the Bible. Amen, church? Like the Bible. We open up the Bible. That's our source of authority. And because it is the Word of God and it transforms us, we get to go to unreached people groups and pray for them and see them change with the gospel. And then he gives the example of Naaman the Syrian. Some of you remember that from kids, right? Bible stories. Naaman the Syrian. The big, tough Syrian. And he had leprosy, and he realized that he needed help, and he went. There's actually a little Jewish girl that had been captured as a slave. If you've ever heard the story of Naaman, it's not so much the story of Naaman, it's the story of a slave girl who had been taken away from her home, who had remained faithful to the Lord God of Israel, because she told Naaman's wife, she says, there is a prophet in Israel. Now, most of us, if we had been captured at a young age like that, we would have said, die, baby, die. You're a Syrian and you have leprosy. Good. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to clean your floors with no pay. I'm going to sit back and gleefully watch you rot to death. But she said, there is a prophet in Israel. So he goes to Israel and he offers this big monetary award Elisha doesn't even come out of the house, but he says, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan. Naaman's so offended because that's a dirty river and I want something tough to do. Well, he goes, his servants talk him into it. He dips under the water seven times and after the seventh time, he comes up and it says his skin was like a baby. (laughs) That's cool. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you know what? Number one, guys, God will go to the outsiders. And secondly, God will forgive and heal those who don't deserve it. And then by this point, guess what happens? 
In verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove them out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill upon which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Man, I've known some ringers in church before, but I've never known of a group in church. I've I've known churches who've crucified preachers, but I've never known them to actually take somebody and throw them off a cliff. That's crazy. I mean, don't you do that? Like, seriously. Okay, think about it. Like, you're going to take the person. You're not going to put them outside the church. You're going to put them outside the building. Then take them to the cliff and throw them off the cliff. Anger. Religious rage that comes from when we have a view of ourselves that is higher, that says, you know what? I do not deserve being talked to like that. I don't like that type of preaching or whatever it may be. And what happens here is that you get, this is so easy to happen to those of us who go to church. We have this this picture, right, of, of how good we've done. But you know what? The fact that if God has given you victory and there have been many changed lives here, it is through His grace. And the only reason why we can look back on anything in our past and say, thank you, Jesus, for taking care of that, it's because of His grace. So when we're confronted by brutal facts of the Bible, when, we, when you come to church and some people say, well, you know, Jeff, you stepped on my toes today. Well, I'm not ever wanting to aim for people's toes. That's just very awkward, right? Just stepping on people's toes. Excuse me, sir, can I stand on your toes? That's just strange, right? If anybody ever ask you that, run. That's just bizarre, right? We're, we're, we're not... We're... The point of the Bible is not so that we can come to church and feel bad about ourselves and therefore feel good. You ever known anybody like that? They like to be put down so they can feel good about themselves? That's just strange. But when we hear the brutal facts of the Bible, when we hear that we need to repent... It is at that point that we make the decision to rear up in religious rage or bow down in broken repentance and humility. And notice what Jesus did in verse 30. But passing through their midst, He went away. The Bible doesn't say how, but Jesus was literally saying, you know what guys, it's not my time. Don't touch me. Do you remember back when Satan was tempting Jesus and Satan brought Him to the top of the temple and said, if you throw yourself off, God's given command of His angels to hold you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. You know what Jesus is doing kind of in a tacit, roundabout way here? He is about to be thrown off a cliff, but Jesus is saying, you know what? When I'm in the will of the Father, no one can harm me. And I want to let you know today that until God is finished with you, you are invincible. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that there was no one who could have taken Jesus before His appointed time. And I believe that every situation that we encounter, God has a plan. And if we remain faithful to Him in broken humility, He will use us. Jonathan Edwards, he he made resolutions when he was a young man. And one of the resolutions was, actually, let me read this so I don't mess it up. Quote, resolved, that means committed, to live with all my might while I do live. There's going to be a day coming to where we won't live anymore. That's not really good news, right? You don't really want to hear that. But but there's going to be a day to where Jeff, that little 1980 
dash, there's going to be a date filled in after that. But it's on that day, I believe with all my heart, that God says, you know what? Come on home. And until that day comes for you, I encourage you to stand strong for Christ. And the way that we do that is when we are confronted with truth that hurts. Instead of rising back in religious rage, kneeling down in broken repentance and say, Jesus, take me back.